invite you to turn with me to James chapter 1. Uh, I'm grateful that we all were able to escape that hurricane that went by us. If you didn't know how to pronounce it, I, it's Edalia, Hurricane Edalia, which uh, stuck out in there. But it, amazingly so, even though it kind of whizzed by Sarasota, it still did a lot of damage down by the, by the waterfront, I think. They estimated maybe $20 million worth of damage uh, because boats are expensive, and it wrecked quite a number of boats uh, just in and of itself. I saw some pictures of flooding over that dolphin fountain where the marina is. Totally wrecked that waterside restaurant. There were boats up there with the, the mast snapped over. So imagine my surprise when I found out that a couple of our, our church guys were down at the beach right before the hurricane hit. And they're out there asking people how they can pray for them and sharing the hope of the gospel with them. While the rest of us are hunkering down like, oh, that's because of it. They're out there, hey, you people need hope. You need to know the love of Jesus. And, and I admire that. I, that. That did my heart good to know that. As long as we're being careful. Um, and I hope you'll be encouraged to know that the Southern Baptists have been flocking to that area, sending relief, disaster relief, trained volunteers to help with the recovery efforts. And they're also sharing supplies and the gospel. And they report at least five salvations have come as a result of those efforts. So our question before us today is, how can believers smile in the face of a storm? Right there, I've given you a couple examples for how God's worked through a storm. That's a physical storm. What about the storms of life that we go through that, that toss us about and might try to wreck us or, or make a shipwreck of our faith or take that smile away and make us feel like we have to live in misery. It's so important we understand this text today from James because if we do, this will empower us with a relentless joy that can bring a smile to the face or to the soul that we have a deep-rooted joy no matter what we face in life. The main point from today's text is a follower of Jesus possesses tr true joy through every trial of life. Now let me read this passage for us. I know it's a slightly longer passage, but you have to take it in stride in the context. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, without stinginess. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, if you were to sum up that entire passage look no further than verse number two. This is the main point. This is the imperative that James gives us, and he just works it out over the following verses. It is, count it all joy. That's the command. 
Count it all joy. Now joy, as distinguished from happiness, a kid might get from a happy meal, or when circumstances are going uh, well in life, joy is that deep-rooted delight, satisfaction. It cannot be shaken in the circumstances of life. Now notice, James does not command us rejoice. Rejoice is not the command. The command is consider or regard. Consider the joy. And not just the occasional joy or the mixed joy. He says, consider all the joy. And I want to point out something from, from the study in the Greek that he actually puts the adjective before the before the, the noun here, which is unusual in the Greek. Usually uh, their, their sentence structure was verb, subject, complement, or verb, object, complement. So if they put the adjective before the word it's complementing, that's for emphasis. James is emphasizing in the storms of life, we don't just count it joy sometimes. We count all the joy. We consider all joy. Uh, you could also translate it sheer joy. Like when your favorite football team scored the game-winning touchdown and all the fans went berserk, and in that moment there's just sheer joy. It doesn't matter if there's still bills unpaid or you know your, your water's about to get shut off. Your team just won the football game, and in that moment, that's all that matters. Sheer joy. Well, God is telling us that can be the life of a believer if we really understand our future in Christ. It's all about perspective. It's all about eternity. Look at who he's writing to. He's not talking to the world. Who's he talking to? Brothers. In the Greek, it, it encapsulates sisters as well. So translate brothers and sisters. Family of God. Those who are loved by God. Christ is the object of your faith. You know that you have a creator of your soul and that he created you for a purpose. You also recognize that your sin was going to drag you down to eternal punishment. Because who could stand before a holy God? Only Jesus Christ the righteous. And he chose to stoop down. God the Son took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, and gave up his life. It was his joy set before him, Hebrews tells us, to pick up the cross and to pay for all of our sins. And those who recognize that message and embrace it and believe it, believe the gospel message, we've been set free. And the empty tomb is the receipt of that. So the only future that you need to be concerned about, the eternal future, that then shifts our focus for everything we experience here and now. Everything needs to be considered in light of eternity. We don't always think that way, though, do we? About our heavenly home, about the glorious future awaiting those who are in Christ Jesus. Revelation 21 tells you about there's no more tears, no more pain. There's a place prepared for you in a beautiful city. Instead, sometimes we think about that horrible day that we had recently. You're talking to your friend and tell them what a horrible day it was. It happens. Some days are bad, <coughs> perspective-wise. But oftentimes, when, when I'm talking about how difficult a day was, when I talk it out, sometimes I realize really all that made that day horrible was 
a five-minute conversation or a quick app update or, or reading someone's status or reading that news article that just threw me off the whole day. So it wasn't really the day that was terrible. It might have been a terrible five minutes. But I see how the perspective colors everything. Well, believer, if our life in Christ is forever and we will taste and see and experience his glory and be with our Savior forever, that trial you're going through today really doesn't compare. Now, that doesn't mean it's not hard. doesn't mean it's not important. He's going to talk about what we do with our trials. It is important to acknowledge them, but look at them with an eternal perspective. And right there, when you know you're on the winning side, what, what can the world do to you? What can hardship do to you to shake that joy? Nothing. And if you think, well, Josh, where are you getting this from? James doesn't really talk about eternity. Look at verse 12. I haven't read it yet, but this, this cap ends the whole thing. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The crown is coming. First we pick up our cross, but it's worth it in light of the crown. Paul David Tripp says this, Christian joy, it's not about avoiding life while dreaming about heaven. It's about taking an utterly honest look at all of earthly life through heaven's lens. We're not here to escape reality. The gospel redefines it. And if you're still uncertain, why should we rejoice in all trials? Okay, James develops it in three points here. Reason number one, verses three and four. Testing makes us more like Jesus. Testing sharpens our faith. It's a testing of our faith to produce something. There's a reason that trials happen in life. Because God is fully committed to working in and through us to shine his fullest purpose and glory through us. And so that people will see Jesus in us. But I wasn't born looking like Jesus. How about you? I had to be reborn. And even then, every day, I need God to work on me. Make me a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit less or a lot less than myself. He doesn't want us just to have a little bit of joy. A little bit of peace, a little bit of love. He wants us to be filled with the fullness of Christ. He won't stop until our joy is complete and God is glorified in every aspect of our life. Which means he will do whatever it takes to reveal that glory through us. <laughs> that might terrify you a little bit. God's willing to do anything? to I hope he doesn't do this. I hope he doesn't do that. God knows what's best. The Father, we can trust Him. God is not out to get you. Let's make that clear. I know sometimes in school you thought that teacher was giving you that quiz or that test just to fail you. And maybe sometimes they were. God doesn't test His children to fail us. You cannot fail yourself out of the family of God. That testing is designed to reveal what he's already given us inside to bring out to refine to purify 
Matthew 13 tells us that those who are not sincere in the faith, the word hasn't really taken a hold in their heart. Trials will actually sift them out. And you'll see them depart, saying, I'm no longer a Christian. I don't believe that anymore. And if that continues to be their life trajectory, God uses trials to show, hey, this person was never one of mine to begin with. A true child of God will not reject the faith. They will go deeper in the roots of the faith. He's testing us to bring about a beauty. A great analogy that James is, is likening this to is actually what a goldsmith or a silversmith is doing. Do you know the heat that is required for a silversmith to bring out all of the impurities and imperfections out of that precious element? Uh, specifically, it's got to be a specific temperature, 1,763.24 degrees Fahrenheit. That's how hot that fire has to be to melt that silver. And then that experienced silversmith has to hold that silver in the hottest part of the fire for just the right amount of time to allow the impurities to come to the surface for him to scoop them off. And if he takes his eyes off the silver or he leaves it in there a little bit too long, the silver's ruined. Because he went from purification to toast. Burnt toast. So the silversmith was given a demonstration one day. And one of the ladies asking said, so how do you know when the silver is refined? This isn't like a microwave. How do you know it's fully pure? He says, oh, that's easy. When I can see my reflection in it, I know it's ready. Isn't that what God does with us? the variety of trials that you go through he is the perfect craftsman holds us in the fire not to toast us not to roast us but to purify us and right when that impurity comes out he brings forth a shining glorious vessel that reflects his image in this fallen world and it's not a fake thing it's not a spray on luster it's genuine because only the Spirit can produce that. By the way, some of these things I discovered about James, I found from BibleStudyTools.com, a free resource online. So as you research through James, or you research through your own personal Bible study, BibleStudyTools.com, go there. Or a Bible Gateway, another good resource. Dig into the Word yourself and discover God's beautiful plan for you. Because here's the deal. He says, let endurance have its complete effect. Endurance or, or steadfastness was the word in the ESV. There's a reason God's holding you in that fire, and I know we want to quit. We want to jump out. God, I'm done. I'm, I'm tapping. This is too hard for me. But when you trust the Father and you stay right in His hand where He wants you, He will accomplish the full work He was intending to do. Don't settle for half the joy or half the peace. Go all in with Jesus and watch him go all in with you. You won't even recognize yourself as you go through that trial. As we were sitting in small group on Wednesday, our small group that started up, and to hear one of our members just, just announced, I think I have cancer, and I'm going to get scanned for that in the next two weeks. But you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust God with that. <laughs> I'm worried for you. You're not worried. 
the hope that a believer can have in Christ can shine in any circumstance. So maybe you're in a season of trial of different sorts, and this, this speaks to you, whether it's a season of singleness, if only I was married, and if only I had these goals, but then I would be whole. Then I would be complete. God has good news for you. You are complete right now in Christ. And he is revealing his true beauty in you in Christ. You don't need a girl. You don't need a guy to complete you. It's Christ. Glorify him in this season. Or as I said, cancer. That's affecting more and more of our people or people that we know. We pray for healing. Pray with bold faith. But God doesn't give healing yet. What is he still doing through that trial that we need to discover and seek his face about? Often in tears. But seek his face and watch him show Christ in you. It will change your life. It will change the lives of those around you. So testing makes us more like Christ. I could stop right there, and that would be worth it. But testing does even more than that. Verses 5 through 8 shows us that testing causes us to rely on God. Testing causes us to rely on God. Because frankly, what else are you going to rely on? When, when whatever has happened, happened, uh, your comfort bubble has dissipated. So we rely on God. Let's be honest. Do we ever, well, sometimes, do we often know the reason why things happen the way that they do? Well, the first thing that I say, I don't know why this is happening. What did I do to tick God off this time? He's not doing it to, to trick us, to fail us. So that's not on the table. But if we're talking about some serious things like a deep trauma or abuse, we're talking about depression, we're talking about panic attacks, we're talking about cancer, if we're talking about dark nights of the soul, it's not something to be taken lightly. So, so what could possibly be good about that situation? Well, you know, let's say depression. Depression is not good in itself. But it can be redeemed for good if it causes me to rely fully on God. There's a purpose there. There's a beauty there. That, that doesn't make sense without the hardship. We can say, well, yeah, I rely on God and everything. But then it takes that thing away you're relying on. Fully relying on God. And James tells us where to go when you have those questions. Why? Why? Why is this happening? Go to God. Let him ask God. You lack wisdom. I lack wisdom. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why that happened to you or to that brother or that sister. Let's go to God, and he will give us wisdom for that trial. He will fill us with the knowledge of Christ and allow us to do what Jesus would do in those circumstances. He's not stingy. I love that he includes that in there. Because who would ever accuse God of being stingy? Well, I have. I have some of the trials that I've gone through. God, you're holding back on me. You're not answering my prayers the way I want you to. But God is generous to give us wisdom. So I might not be so eager to pull this trial away from you, but I am eager to fill you with my wisdom. So that you will know and see things the way that I do. One thing you need to realize about the book of James. Why does he talk so much about commands and do this and don't do that? He's painting a picture of two realities. A reality with Christ and a reality without Christ. And right here he's showing that trials 
will force you to choose a reality. Which world are you living in? I trust Christ. I'm looking to Him for wisdom. I don't trust Christ. I need the world's wisdom. i got to figure this out on my own. There's two worlds. And a trial forces us to choose. We fully rely on God? Or, well, this is what my friend says. Or, you know, maybe... Maybe if I steal this or do that, I can get myself ahead and get out of this situation. Wisdom of man. And I encourage us all, fully rely on the wisdom of God. All I gotta do is ask. All I gotta do is ask. What has he given us? Ask in faith. Imagine working for a Fortune 500 company. And you're just a young intern at this company, starting up. And you can't figure out how to log into your email. That was just set up for you. It's kind of amazing as an intern you have an email, but but there you go. You you got but you can't figure out how to set up your email. So what do you do? You get in the elevator. You go to the top floor of the building. You walk down the hallway to the executive boardroom. You open up the door and interrupt the executive meeting going on. You go up to the CEO and you tell him, "Hey, I'm having trouble figuring out my email. Can you can you help me out with that?" Any CEO in the world would give him a talking to. Set him straight. My time is too valuable for that. But if you know our Heavenly Father, who's over the universe, he says that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You're upset about an email? Come to me. Someone said something that hurt you? Come to me. I don't delegate that. I'm your comforting presence 24-7. I love that job. Let me be your daddy. Let me be your wisdom. Let me be your comfort. Come to me. James says, ask in faith. Don't be like shy outside the door, knocking quietly. I don't want to bother you, God. I, I know you're busy. I know you're looking at our so many people. No, he says, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Again, that doesn't mean your trial is going to disappear. That might be what you asked for, but what he's telling us here to do is that bold ask. I come before him in the name of Jesus, and I can ask anything day or night because of the relationship that we have. Do you talk to God like that? Or is the first thing you do, you pick up your phone, you got to talk to somebody else. Tell them about the stuff you've been going through. Why don't you keep the phone on your bedside table for a moment talk to God. Daddy, I need you. I've got something going on. I heard a praise this past week for somebody who earnestly and honestly reached out and prayed to God. God, I need community. I need, I need help. I need to connect with other believers. And by lunchtime that day, just so happened to run into a group of them at Panera. Boom. Ask and you shall receive. Isn't God good? He is so faithful. He knows what you need before you even do. So don't doubt. And, and when he talks about this double-minded man, what's he referring to? Well, he's not talking about a believer. Because that term double-minded means two hearts. In other words, somebody who claims to be a Christian, claims to have faith in Christ, but you've got your escape plan ready. The moment God doesn't give you what you, what you think you need... I don't got time for that Christian stuff. I got to figure this out on my own. I'm walking away from it all. 
And, and I'm just looking for an excuse. Hmm. That, I mean, we all doubt. We all have questions from time to time. But James is talking about those who literally doubt the character of God. Not in the heat of moment. God, do you care? That's a sincere cry from the heart of the believer. God doesn't care. I don't care about him. Two totally different approaches to the trial. So do you have two hearts? Repent to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit take over your heart. But I hope that you're in the seat of a believer here today. And then in that case, you can look back on how many times God has provided for you over and over and over and over again. You think he doesn't care? Look at what he's already given you. The Holy Spirit of God. He is within you. He's fully committed to you. Even though you and I still don't look near as much like Jesus like we should. He says, I'm with you for the long haul. Never to leave you. Never to forsake you. He has also given us his word. Clear instructions and wisdom for our life. What a gift. The whole world is out there trying to find truth. So they say, and they're climbing mountaintops, and they're trying drugs, and they're doing all these experiences. Meanwhile, we have the truth right here. Seriously, what a gift. You could be lost in a lie right now. We're dead in a ditch. God has reached out to us and given us his word to guide our path. He's also given us his church. A body of believers around the world, brothers and sisters, who lift each other up, we encourage each other in the faith. God knew we needed this. It's too hard to walk the Christian life alone. It is. Sure, you might run into people that say, well, I can be a Christian and I can be alone. Sure, but that's foolishness. Is that too hard to say? No, because in the wisdom of God, he ordained the church. So I'm not saying every church is perfect, and then there's a lot of churches out there that should be avoided. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not centered on the word. They don't really care for you. Yeah, sure, don't go to those churches. Find one that does. And I submit to you that this is a church that genuinely loves you. And we're going to point you to the wisdom of God, even when I can't tell you, this is why you're going through that. I'm not a mind reader. I don't know. Let's go and let's seek God together. He's greater than all of our collective wisdom. But we need each other to move forward. And I can't wait to celebrate our church anniversary. Technically, it's September 18th. We're going to celebrate on the 24th. And I want you there. Because we would not see all that God has done without every single one of you being a part in that journey. And bring some friends, too. My goodness, they didn't see what God's doing here. Here's the third and final thing that James tells us our testing does for us. In verses 9 through 11, he tells us that testing gives us a balanced perspective on life. It's a little bit confusing. doesn't quite make sense at first, but that's what he's saying. Testing gives us a balanced perspective. Life is short. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, recently passed away. He said it well. The gospel is that I am so sinful that Jesus had to die for me. Yet, I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to a deep humility and a deep confidence at the same time. I can't feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. Isn't that good? I have nothing to prove to anyone. 
So that's what he's referring to here when he talks about the love, the lowly brother and the rich. Okay, so let's talk about confidence for a moment. We can confidently come before the throne of grace and talking to God. We can also go out confidently in our day-to-day walk. He said, well, Josh, you don't know, you don't know what I did this past week. I sinned a lot of this one. I messed up this past week. Are you covered by the grace of Jesus? Are you loved by the Father no matter what you've done? Did he die for you knowing you were going to do all those things anyways? Then stand confidently that today is a day that is new and designed by God's grace to bring you closer to him. We don't need to walk around with our heads hanging low, do the shuffle walk of shame. Christ said, I came to set you free from that. Let shame just stir your heart to repent of that sin and, and rejoice in me again. So there's confidence there. And he talks about a lowly brother, which is most likely referring to someone who's poor, doesn't have a lot. So in the fellowship of believers or in the, in the eyes of, of the world, you know, you don't technically have a lot to offer, especially the world, right? If you don't have money, we don't have any interest in you. Lowly brother, he says, let him boast. Let him boast in his exaltation. Boast in your status. Though we don't define our status and our worth by our possessions. We define it by the fact that the living God who made heaven and earth, he knows us. He knows my name. I'm on his heart. He's with me 24-7. Who are you, rich person, that think that you're somebody because of what's in your bank account? I know the one who made you. And he's saying the way you're living is wrong. We're bold evangelists. We're confident. We know whose we are. It's not from me. I'm not the reason to be confident. It's all because of Jesus. So let the lowly brother boast. You are in an exalted state. You are in the eyes of God. You're on his heart. But he also says, let the rich boast in his humiliation, his humbling. So that's the part of the gospel that we also can't forget. I am a nobody, and I was a nobody apart from Jesus. So the rich may go through a period where the riches dry up, or he's tempted to feel dependent on those things. That's where his joy and his happiness comes from. Well, James says, let the rich boast in the humility of the gospel. You didn't earn one thing by yourself without God's consent. Everything you have came from God. Oh, but I started the company Okay, but who gave you the breath and life to do that? <laughs> I drove all those miles who watched over you safely on the road. Remember, you are a nobody apart from Jesus, and one day, like a flower of the grass, you're going to fade. Your money's not coming with you. You're going to be buried in the ground, and people are going to drive by the cemetery all day long and have no idea who you are. You will fade from memory. But if you are in Christ, you're going to be remembered by the living God and you'll be with Him for all of eternity. Is that worth it? Is that something to rejoice in? All good things come from above. And I heard a credible story the other day. We're a, we're a church plant. We're a new church, right? We, we decided to partner with a network of church plants called the Send Network. And our goal is to plant churches in areas where they need the gospel and to see healthy churches form around the world. But I heard about one church planter up in New England 
Now, he was diagnosed with cancer several times in his life. And as he and his wife are preparing to plant a church with said network, he gets a new diagnosis. You have terminal cancer. You have three to five years to live at the max. This is a month before they launch as a church. And he has this revelation from the doctor. God might miraculously heal him. But now if you just have three to five years to live, do you really want to waste that? Working so hard, starting a church, evangelizing. Why don't you go and spend time with your wife? Wisdom of God, wisdom of man. To my amazement, he obeyed the Lord and he planted that church. And in just the last two years, they've seen over 100 people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and get baptized. And they're about to plant another church. That's what he did. That's what he's doing in his final years of life. If you only had three to five years to live, would anything look different about your life? Are you laying up treasure for now? Are you laying up treasure in heaven? See, testing reveals what we're really doing with our life. Is finances really what we're laying up for, for the rest of our life? Is it riches? Is it the grass? I hope not. The sun, the sun knocked that all out of all of us over the summer. I might not be here in five years. But if I'm investing in people with the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I'm living a joy-filled life, I'm not wasting a minute of it. Would we consider to walk with Jesus that way? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. We will receive the crown of life. That's why we can smile in the face of the storm. And I can say that confidently, not knowing what storm you're going through this week or what you're going to face tomorrow. But I know the one who holds the future. He is watching over you, loving you, and he will bring you forth pure than gold. So here's just some final application thoughts. What do we do with this? Uh, well, I mean, James tells us to trust God with our finances, right? To not stress about it. When we're looking for that next that next check or we're, or we're looking to make ends meet. Okay, well, the worldly wisdom would say, now you need to be a stingy person. I'm not helping out anybody until I take care of myself, right? Well, we were talking about this immense group on Wednesday. What if... You know, maybe money is tight for you, and we're talking about fasting. What if we fasted from one meal, maybe that you were going to eat out, save the $10, and pray and ask God, how can I use that $10 to bless somebody else? It's a heavenly way of thinking. It's God's way of thinking. Without taking things out of the bills you need to pay, but allowing you to be benevolent to those in need. What about evangelism? It's always scary open your mouth and share the gospel. And it's going to take some time. Instead of rushing out the door of that store, that restaurant, you got places to be, you take a moment and you ask someone, how can I pray for you? And you look to share the gospel with them because what's going to cost you five to ten minutes could give someone eternity. What would you give to change someone's life for eternity? Can you give five minutes? It's a whole different way of thinking when we consider the joy we have in Jesus. So let's do that this week. 
a joy-filled church and reach out to those who are not here to let them know we love them and we're praying for them and whatever they're going through, we're going to go through it together because we're brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in the storms of life, you have a plan. We're not just blowing around like, like waves in the ocean. We are anchored. We have a deep-rooted joy that cannot be taken away. But, Lord, we do doubt. We do struggle and we wrestle with these things. Inside and outside. And, and it affects us physically sometimes. And we struggle sleeping. I just thank you that you're so gracious. You never leave us. You work in us. You expose those imperfections so you can purify us and make us more like Christ. So I pray that at the end of today, God, fulfill your purpose in us. Let us look more like Jesus at the end of today than we did at the beginning. And as we look back, I think we're closer to Jesus today than we were a year ago when this church started. So God, if that's all you have planned for Living Hope Church, we rejoice. We thank you. And we look more like Jesus. But Lord, we recognize that time is short. This world needs you. They need more healthy churches preaching and living the gospel. Would you allow us, by your grace, to reach more people for Christ? Would we double or triple or quadruple the people we lead to Christ this year than last year? We want to do this for your glory, King Jesus. And I pray as we go out, we'll go out with the joy of Jesus, fully relying on God and numbering our days that we would receive the crown of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.